Hello, this is Daniel Gregory. Thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Perceptive Photographer Podcast. We are on episode number 345. Really do appreciate you tuning in and checking out the podcast, whether you're listening for the first time or not. Also, if you want to make sure you follow the podcast, make sure you click on the subscribe button and whatever your platform of choice is, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, wherever you're listening to the podcast, that'll keep you notified of any new episodes that will come out in the future, which is basically every Monday. So memory, you know, one of the interesting things about memory is we believe it to be highly accurate. And yet we also know that sometimes it's not accurate. You know, we have this idea that if we remember something, that is the events as they unfolded. But then we start talking to other people who were at that event and we realize, well, maybe there is a different interpretation. Maybe, maybe I didn't remember that exactly as I thought. But that doesn't make the memory any more real. That still holds the value of that memory. And the reason I bring that up is that starts to sound a little bit like a photograph. You know, we go to photograph something. I take a picture of a place. You take a picture of the same place. We have two different pictures. Which picture is accurate? Which one reflects the reality of the situation? Reality in air quotes there. And in fact, they're both accurate. They both say something about that place. They both say something about that time. And yet, neither one of them is entirely accurate either. Because remember, we don't tell the entire story in the photograph. We leave things out by framing alone. We have chosen to exclude certain aspects of a given location, scene, event, whatever it is. And while we think about, well, I frame to make sure that the composition is interesting, that I've isolated the subject that matters to me, much like memory, sometimes it doesn't necessarily reflect everything that was there. But yet we believe the photograph to be pretty accurate. At the same time, when we come back and we take photographs, we edit photographs, we work on photographs. One of the criteria that we decide those photographs are right or have been edited properly or are finished is they match our memory. So when I think about taking a photograph of a sunset, those exact colors, the exact colors in, say, the XYZ or LAB color space. I'm never even going to know. I'm not even sure I can measure them. I'm not even sure the camera accurately recorded them. I'm not sure that they haven't been altered by the camera in some way. So when I go back to edit that photograph, to print that photograph, I try to make that photograph match my memory of that sunset. The memory of what the sunset looked like or maybe my memory of what the sunset felt like, or maybe what I hoped that the sunset looked like, but it's all based on my memory of the context of the time, place that I took the photograph. And again, because memory isn't 100% accurate, the photo can't be 100% accurate. But if the photo matches what my memory is, for most of us, we'll start to think that's a good photograph. It meets the expectation of attaching itself to memory, of saying, I have this photograph, and when I think about the time and place I took it, it fits. It doesn't break any of the rules in my brain that say that that was true. It also helps us to have that memory because that allows us to make some editing decisions. How saturated were the colors? I think they were a little more saturated than this, or I think they were a little more yellow than this, or they were a little brighter than this. And so we make decisions based, again, 
on what we think should be there based on what we thought we saw when we were there. And this is why when we edit photographs or somebody else's photographs, it can be a challenge because if I'm editing somebody else's images, now I'm editing towards an aesthetic, a choice of saturation color that I think is pleasing and plausible or believable, but accurate to memory isn't there. That container doesn't exist within the bucket because I don't have that frame of reference. So I can only go on what I believe to be are good design elements, good compositional elements, good color framing elements, good you know, concepts for what I think makes an interesting looking visual photograph. You know, and I might still attempt to convey some meaning around that. Well, where does all of that information come from? It comes from my own memories, my own experiences to say, oh, when I think back to other photographs I've seen, when I think about other sunsets I've seen, when I think about other portraits I've made or other pictures of this person that I've seen, how do I wrap all of that up to make this the best photograph possible? If I don't do that correctly, if I don't do that in a way that attaches to my memory, and that's what I mean by correct, because again, editing is just a series of choices. But when I look at a photograph and say, that's not correct, or I'm not sure I like that, there's a, a tenant in there that violates memory in some, in some aspect. It doesn't match my mental construct of what I think that scene should look like. The reason I bring all this up and, and spend some time defining this early on is I think memory, because it's such a powerful tool and a barrier at the same time to helping us make interesting, meaningful photographs, we need to think about how can we understand our memory's approach to photography? How can we help memory in the creation of the photograph? So that not just are we reliant on looking at the photograph and trying to recall or harken back to a specific time, but are there things we could do behind the camera that may, may help us ensure that what we get more reflects the experience we want to translate? Because part of memory, again, is it, it has a, a fluidity to it. And that flexibility, that fluidity of the memory allows us to do a lot of things in the photograph. One of the things it allows us to do is it allows us to pass judgment on the photograph. A lot of times when we don't like a photograph, if we haven't spent the time to truly read the photograph, process the photograph, think about all the elements in the photograph, how does design, composition, intent, all of those things come into play. We look at a photograph, we decide we don't like it because it doesn't match an expectation that we're thinking about based on past experiences. We don't think about the photograph in a future context. The photograph is judged against past events to market. We don't look at a photograph and say, oh, in five or six years when there's a bunch more photographs taken, that's going to one day be a good photograph. We never think about that. We always think about, oh, Based on all the photographs I've seen, everything I know about photography, that's not that interesting to photograph. And memory is, again, fallible. So one of the things that can happen is if we rely on memory to critique the photograph, to evaluate the photograph, to judge the photograph, in part, what we're saying is that photograph doesn't match my memory. It doesn't match my expectation of that. And if you're not the person who took the photograph, you're now in a once removed scenario. So now you're saying that photograph doesn't match my memory of what I think I would have thought if I stood there and took that photograph. We start to get extrapolated from the center of, you know, the puddle of the 
pebble in the pond, we're on one of the far out ripples at that point. So the effect of that photograph, we're making a judgment pretty far away from the actual photograph. And that's why I think it's important for us to recognize that when we're looking at photographs, we want to break the association of memory and say, you know, what is the context of the photograph? What are the elements of design, framing, composition, mood, structure, all of those things in the photograph? You know, if I make the photograph darker and more moody, how does that impact me viewing the photograph? Not dependent on my memory of what that location looked like or who that person is. I think it's also important for us to recognize that I can't escape memory when I look at photographs. So I have to be hyper aware of that because one of the things that can happen with memory is if I look at a photograph, say, of your trip to Hawaii, and you've got one of the beaches on Kauai, and I look at that and I say, oh, cool, that's a photograph of, you know, the North Shore, the Nepali coast, or wherever it is. And it takes me then back to my trip to Kauai. I'm no longer really engaged with your photograph anymore, but I'm thinking about Hawaii and I'm thinking about shave ice and pina coladas and getting to snorkel and hang out on the beach. But I'm not really looking at your photograph anymore. Your photograph has done a, an important thing. It's engaged me enough to invoke my memory. But I then have let my own memory take hold of the photographic experience. And so I'm no longer evaluating your photograph I'm evaluating my memory of being in Hawaii. And I look at that and I think, yeah, that's a pretty good photograph of Hawaii. And it could be a terrible photograph of Hawaii. What I'm responding to is you invoked a memory that I liked out of Hawaii. So we have to be careful with memory that we're, again, not being lured by our own memories when we judge the photograph. Also, when we're behind the camera, I think one of the things that's really important is you know, having awareness behind the camera of what we're photographing and the potential impact that's going to have on our memory. And so when we photograph, note-taking is one of the most powerful tools we have. And I don't see a lot of photographers embrace note-taking in a significant way when they're behind the camera. They're worried about making the shot. They're worried about making the photograph. And in the analog days, if you were shooting sheet film or roll film and somebody wasn't processing your film, or even if somebody was processing your film, and you had to know whether you were going to push or pull the film's development, or were you going to change something in the development of the black and white film? You at least had enough notes to tell you how to process the film. So that told you, you know, do I want to pull for saturation? Do I want to push for film speed? Whatever it was, I had a little context of, of note-taking behind the camera, but we take that to the next level. And what was the scene? What was the what was I thinking about in terms of composition? What was I thinking about in terms of, of exposure? We get a little bit more information about judging the technical side of that. But in the additional note-taking would be when you get back, say you went out and you photographed a, a series of portraits, and you come back and you sat down after the shoot was over or during the shoot if you've got time, and you made notes about what you were thinking at that moment. Oh, when I was making this photograph, I was thinking I wanted to make this you know, a, a moment of emotional context where the person seems sort of sad and detached. And in this next set of photographs, I was looking for something that was abundance and joy. Whatever it is, you're thinking about not how does the light wrap around somebody, but what was the experience I was trying to connect to with the person I was taking the portrait of? What was I hoping to communicate as we made that photograph together? as they gave me the experience and I gave them the photograph. We created that, that shared meaning. What was that in the moment? 
Because then when I get back to edit, when I get back to looking at my photographs, I'm no longer bound by what I think I remember. I have a touchstone to that moment. And that doesn't mean that that moment's notes are any more accurate than the memory. I mean, the great photographer Jeff Wall talks about photographing and setting up elaborate sets based on memory because the memory is more accurate than the photograph. If what you remember is this and you believe that to be true, it doesn't matter what a photograph says. Heck, it doesn't matter what anybody tells you. You still believe you're right. So this idea of, of one being more important than the other, I'm not sure that's, that's a rabbit hole I'd want to go down. But I do think having the touch point back to the original thought, the original idea that can contextualize, at least at the moment of capture, what I was thinking about. I would equate that to a shot list. If you're going to go out and photograph a location or you're working on a, a, a job and you want to get something done, and you're like, here's the 10 photographs I want to make of this florist shop or the park I'm in or, you know, some holiday event. And you want to get the family portrait, the grandparents, the grandparents with the grandkids. You know, you kind of have your idea of all the photographs you want to put together. Having that together ahead of time Make sure that you don't miss something or miss something critical in the shooting. Same experience, but on the backside when it comes to memory. We need to think about what is it in how we remember things versus what we photograph and the alignment of those expectations. So again, having notes along the way, separating memory from the actual photograph are all little things that can help us in that process. Like I said in the very beginning, memory against the photograph is probably one of the most powerful tools we have. It what allows us to connect to the work. The ability to allow me to look at a photograph and imagine what that was like or to remember my own experience of what it was like. And as long as I don't let that take me out of the critique process of the photograph, that becomes informative. But it's a way to help us think about photographs. But it can't be the only way we think about photographs and respond to photographs. So hopefully I gave you a little bit of something to think about, some things to remember. Maybe when you look at your own photographs, trying to separate what's in the photograph for memory. If you're in my critique groups, in my workshops, you'll hear me say all the time, the photograph has no memory. That's what allows me to look at your photograph and say, oh, I don't know if that's a good photograph. The composition's off. And you tell me it's really important because of some memory you have. I don't have that same memory. It's a great way to break that and say, really, what is the photograph? What is the memory? Again, I think when they're a lot truly aligned, we have a pretty powerful photograph. But when we allow our memory to override the photograph, that can be a problem in making sure that we're creating the work that we're truly meant to create. I hope you have a wonderful week, wonderful week behind the camera. Thanks so much for joining me and uh, spending a little bit of time with me. I really do appreciate it. And don't forget, if you're enjoying the podcast and you haven't subscribed, just go on ahead and click on one of those subscription buttons to make sure you're notified of the new podcast when they come out. And I will see you next Monday.